Hey, what's going on, guys? It's just after 3 p.m. on Saturday, February 26th, and we're going to be hosting another episode of what I've labeled as Markets and Mayhem, episode three, because that's all it's felt like for the last few times that I've got on. But we'll get started in a minute, give everyone a chance to uh, log on. <clears throat> now we, uh, we are available to Android users, so it should make this platform more desirable. I, I really like using Colin. I like that you can um, edit shows after, you could save them. Um, so for those of you that you know aren't able to tune in on time, you don't miss anything. Uh, and you could listen to all past uh, or previous episodes uh, that have that I've done. So they've all been recorded. So we'll get started in a second. It's gonna be pretty open today. Uh, probably going to go for anywhere between a half hour to an hour, um, as usual. There's a lot to, there's a lot of material that we could talk about. Uh, I don't want to get, go down the rabbit hole of talking too much about what's taking place, obviously, uh, between Ukraine and Russia, but obviously that does have some implications for uh, the market that most of us are focused on or concerned with. So. It'd be very difficult to not um, mention that, but I don't want to. I don't want to go down that route, and and for this to turn anything into anything um, that any of us don't have, or rather, it cannot define as our area of competence, because it certainly isn't mine. You know, I'm, I have opinions, but um, I don't think that I am educated enough to talk too deeply on them. So, like I said, we'll get started in a second. Just as a reminder. Uh, none of this is financial advice, right? This is just my opinion. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that we could talk about. Uh, so I'm just going to rattle off for a few minutes and then I'll go ahead and open up the floor. Just as a reminder, as all of the other shows um, in the quote unquote Cantoring Clark Trading Lounge, we don't necessarily have to just talk about trading. Uh, for the last few episodes that I've done, I mean, macro has been front and center um, and a lot of what we've talked about was um, Fed activity, right, with regard to rates, quantitative tightening, uh, reduction of the balance sheet. Um, and that's been sort of in vogue for the last few months. So, you know, now this is something that's completely different on the radar with uh, conflict, <clears throat> but we don't have to talk about trading. We just can't talk about religion, can't talk about politics. I like to steer clear of those subjects, but I'd be happy to talk about anything else. So anything that's on your mind, don't feel shy about calling in, uh, whether it's asking a specific question about my trading, whether it's asking, you know, a question about order flow or talking about the macro. Uh, like I said, I want to keep this relatively open. So a couple things. Um, the first thing I want to point out is I shared something. I tagged Market Mercenaries. Uh, the t-shirts that are being created, you'll see that there are t-shirts that are, um, they are an image of the Ukrainian flag uh, with Zelensky on it. Um, and the hashtag is we stand with Ukraine. The proceeds from those sales, uh, minus just the cost of production and shipment, uh, all those proceeds go to, to charity. Um, so we wanted to do something nice. <clears throat> um, obviously directly, uh, directly donating as well, but we wanted to do something nice. So we put that up very quickly, uh, but even easier than that, I'm sure for most people, and I don't really care if, you know what, you know, if you 
uh, buy the Market Mercenaries t-shirt at all, right? Because those proceeds, again, are just getting donated to um, rescue.org uh, and they'll go to Ukraine. It's probably easier for most people to just use the um, crypto addresses that the official Ukrainian government Twitter account posted today. And so really quick, the it's dangerous during times like this because there are obviously a lot of bad actors that are looking to take advantage of moments like this. Um, so you'll see that there's a bunch of fake accounts sharing crypto addresses, you know, saying it's on behalf of a charity, an organization, uh, and it's obviously a, a cash grab. Um, anything that's done through market mercenaries, anything that's sold, uh, we'll go ahead and, and publish those sales and make that all public just so that there are no questions. But there are a lot of people right now on Twitter that are sharing crypto addresses. And from what I've gathered, uh, the posts that I shared on Twitter from the Ukrainian government's Twitter, uh, their official page, that is a legit um, account. It has not been hacked. And that was another worry. You know, was their account hacked? So far, um, from what I've heard, from what I've gathered, that is, uh, that's a valid, it's a valid post with a valid address that will, Again, all of the donations that go there will go directly to their cause. And I think total was about an hour ago. I think it was like around $4 million in BTC. Um, and I'm not sure what the other totals were. But if you can help, I'm sure any little bit counts. Um, so be sure to check that out. It is shared on my it is shared on my Twitter page. OK, so, I mean, obviously, Bitcoin has put in a significant bounce. Um, you know, it's. It's kind of a gross concept, but markets do tend to do well once um, uncertainty has passed and either the conflict that was proposed or that was rumored um, takes place or doesn't take place. So meaning, you know, markets don't like uncertainty. So whether there's talk of a war or questions of a possible war, that's when markets don't behave. Uh, but then traditionally, if there has been, and this is backed up, uh, historically with stats, um, if there has been an announcement officially of a war or rather that there will be no war, markets tend to outperform after. Uh, and I shared a post about that. And some people couldn't really wrap their heads around that, that, you know, it obviously if war is announced and if there's actual battle that takes place, you know, things have to get much worse. And, and the reality is it's more like once the cannon, uh, cannon fire is confirmed, markets tend to to outperform um, something like the 30 days, 60 days after. I think uh, I don't I don't want to quote it, but it's on my I, I don't want to quote it, not because I don't want to, because I just can't recall it. Uh, I think it was upwards of in the S&P in the last 30 global conflicts um, has returned, let's say, you know, just off the top of my head, 23 percent um, from <clears throat> from the time when the conflict was uh, announced. So. Basically, after that period of uncertainty, when markets take, you know, at that point took a hit uh, from the drawdown to recovery, that leg was on average, we'll say around 23%. So it's kind of a gross concept, right? That during a period of war, um, when war is actually confirmed, that things actually do better. There's uh, an old saying that, again, this goes to the idea that markets do not like uncertainty. Uh, so you buy the uncertainty or you sell the uncertainty, depending on what uh, what trend the market is taking on, and you close your position out when the body count is uh, revealed. 
Um, and this quote was specifically with regards to um, certain markets performing well during uh, during terrorist attacks. So the idea is, you know, the body count, the final sort of verdict, the final um, that sounds terribly cold, the final outcome. Once the market realizes that there's really nothing else for the market to uh, position on behalf of. Right. It's sort of everything is known at that point. So you essentially, you know, as terrible as it sounds, buy the uncertainty and sell the uh, sell the body count as it's. Uh, as it's been said before, that's not something I came up with myself. I just can't remember happening where I, I get these things from. <laughs> um, so markets have bounced. Bitcoin hasn't done anything that is uh, that is unique. It's not like it has done anything that the S&P hasn't done. Um, so obviously uh, the S&P cash session is done Friday and then we have a short future session and, and we won't see futures markets open up again until Sunday. Uh, but Bitcoin didn't do anything that the S&P wasn't already doing. So it's not like we saw this squeeze um, and the S&P, uh, you know, didn't have a, a similar squeeze. It's just that Bitcoin, obviously, it's a higher beta. Um, so it's going to behave and perform or return rather what you would expect from a highly correlated higher beta asset. Uh, and if you were to look at sort of two of these um, next to each other, uh, Bitcoin would be the more attractive asset to, to place this trade around. Um, and this was essentially, you know, shorting into the hole uh, on in both markets. Um, and Bitcoin was more attractive just because uh, of the the nature of our derivative market. Um, I would say the lack of sophistication by participants and the effective crowding in this market versus uh, legacy markets were, you know, which are a bit more more muted. So this isn't something that. Um, is necessarily a, uh, you know, I said that I didn't want to just take this and blindly long. I see a few people on the timeline, um, you know, who have actually been calling bottom from from 65K plus uh, talking about this as, you know, it clearly being a bottom. It's a great sign, right? In a market that is led by derivatives often, we will see that we will see that these um, the ultimate highs and lows of this market are put are put in by one side of the market getting really offside and, and that squeeze, whether it's a long squeeze or a short squeeze taking place on the derivative market and that ultimately leading to uh, a shift in the trend. Um, so it's not to say that this can't be one of those cases. It just happens to be that we're seeing the same exact behavior in legacy markets. Uh, and this behavior is, if anything, it's, a, it's, a, it's an indication of the underlying unhealthiness of the market. Uh, so there's been many times before where we've had a significant response and, and sort of squeeze like this in legacy um, and have only went on to uh, return, return poorly after. The one thing that is unique about this is obviously, like I said, this is um, the current context is this is a sort of wartime context, uh, even though a wartime environment, even though it is not specifically with regards to the S&P or with regards to the United States, which, um, you know, obviously is, is much more related to the S&P. But. This is a good sign, nevertheless, by BTC. Uh, there was a significant amount of open interest that went into that pocket um, below 36 on Binance. Specifically, there was a, like around, um, I think it was 80 to 100 million contracts opened up down there. Uh, and, you know, it makes sense, right, that that would have been a significant panic point for the market. Um, <clears throat> you know, this coming on the headlines of uh, the first conflict erupting between Russia and Ukraine, 
uh, or rather not necessarily the first, but the most widely shared on social media and through news outlets. Uh, and at this point, we had also taken out some significant lows going back to September of last year. Um, and we're approaching, you know, we're back within a prior range. It looks like we're approaching ultimately the low 30s again. Really easy area to, um, really easy, oh, excuse me, not the September lows. I'm, I'm misquoting that. Um, the, excuse me, the, I'm saying the January lows, uh, but going back into the range that ended of, I don't know how I got September. What was I looking at? The range that ended uh, last year in July, right? So that's more like it. So uh, a significant panic point for the market, right? Area where you would expect crowding to occur. Um, but again, same sort of behavior taking place in legacy markets. If anything, right now, um, what I would want to see is that we maintain this consolidation. And and I think that as long as we maintain this consolidation, which is, you know, if we're able to hold, let's say, like the 38.5 region, uh, so avoid trap, you know, falling back down within that gap uh, below yesterday's low. We're probably looking at more of a squeeze upward, um, maybe tonight, tomorrow. Honestly, weekend activity is is obviously thinner, so it's easier to push the market around, run some stops, um, force some movement. Uh, in, you know, this is called moment, uh, momentum ignition. Um, and then 41, I think, would seem like a, a reasonable target if we were to continue to squeeze up from here. The good signs are if you're a bull, one, you've had this sort of I, I call it an aberration because, again, it's it's not exactly uh, you could say it's organic, right, because it comes from it is market market structure and microstructure driven. Right. It's from the derivative market. Um, it is uh, the effect of a short squeeze. Um, so. The good signs for the bulls are obviously you had a significant move, one of the most significant moves in a long time. The S&P chart, actually, if you look at it on the weekly now, it's a bit more compelling uh, from the long side. Um, and also right now you have consistent negative funding. You have Bybit that is of the last session, over the last session, uh, shorting considerably. The Bifinex whale that everyone was referring to um, actually has filled uh, a significant amount of their position. So we saw that that um, that those passive orders, the limit bids, uh, which I think stretched down to, I can't recall exactly where they stretched down to, maybe low 30, mid, you know, maybe 33, 32. Um, a significant portion of those were filled. So they actually did have intention of uh, transacting. So not, you know, not just a simple spoof, although spoofs wouldn't generally appear like that anyway, it would be a little bit more isolated. <clears throat> so we saw that they transacted. We have a um, uh, still a, a pretty significant Bifinex premium. Uh, FTX is currently trading relatively in line. Bybit is trading under Coinbase. Bifinex is trading above everybody. Uh, Binance is just a, uh, a little bit behind. But Binance uh, futures are trading below um, Binance spot. So leading up to the move, there was actually a uh, a significant flattening and even brief period of backwardation in the term structure, which is a pretty good sign. Um, it is a really good indication of, sent of sentiment, but the same thing goes with options. So with options, looking at skew, looking at put call ratios, same thing goes with looking at, uh, you know, term structure of the futures market. It's not a really, it's not a very um, uh, precise way of, uh, of, possibly setting up a position, right? It's it's more broad. Uh, it's definitely not a scalpel. You can't just look at the futures market being backwarded and say, oh, that's it. You know, these things 
are signs that you really would ultimately want to see persist. So we've seen term structure flat for some period now. One of the really good signs is that uh, some of these longer dated futures contracts were some of the more aggressive buyers into this low, which, you know, from a larger participant standpoint, you have less liquidity, but for long-term position building, um, it's attractive because you don't have to worry about the financing cost that comes along with holding something like a perpetual swap. So, you know, perpetual swap, you're going to be experiencing um, some kind of decay, especially when a trend shifts and becomes obvious. And, you know, a significant amount of the market is now getting aggressively long and that funding rate begins to tick up. That can continue. Uh, but as a reminder, you know, if you're long and if you're long on behalf of, you know, if you're under collateralized, that's eating into a significant amount of your margin. Right. So it was really positive that off of the lows we saw that um, those longer dated linear futures contracts were some of the more aggressive buyers. Uh, so right now, it, it honestly looks good, right? It looks good, but I think the important thing to remember is that any kind of bottom that forms, you know, we are likely not just one and done leaving this area. Um, so, you know, ETH looks good, BTC looks good. Uh, but if you zoom out and look at the daily and the weekly, it's not like we've done too much. It's just now we're rejecting sort of a key area market structure that you would, you know, look to to serve as support again. Um, you, know, you would want to see the buyers are consistently bidding this this region up. And it's interesting now because, you know, Bitcoin is technically looking good, right? It's showing responsiveness rather. Uh, and we're seeing that it is actually serving maybe some of its higher calling or higher purpose uh, in times like this where you're able to, you know, I don't want to say fund the war, but um, help uh, help individuals out across the globe by just, you know, using a uh, a piece of cryptography. There's still things that I would prefer to see as far as the trend goes. Um, and I think most of you know now one of my significant lines in the sand is the 20 period, uh, which has been um, <clears throat> acting as uh, resistance on the way down dynamically. It's, it's you know, I, I wouldn't want to just think of it as dynamic sort of porter resistance. I would just focus on the general direction, right? Where price is sitting in relation to it. Um, so if anything, we should see that price does not lose the low 30s, right? You're going to see the 20 period being flattened out. And then if we're able to break outside of this consolidation um, and, and at that point, you know, our moving, moving averages are beginning to point up, it just looks a lot better for, you know, the, uh, the longer, shorter term trend, right? So longer term meaning outside of intraday and shorter term meaning, not expecting it necessarily to just shoot back up and and make a new all-time high. So I think I'm going to open it up. Um, I probably forgot a few points that I wanted to make, but uh, I think in general right now, a lot of this does hinge on legacy. Um, but so last thing just to, to go over, and I'm sure you know, there's people are tired of hearing about this, but there's a lot of talk right now about um, what the Fed will do. And, you know, there's conversation, oh, the Fed's not going to hike now. Um, that's, a, that's a tough thing to say because, one, energy prices from, as a result, uh, they've come down a little bit. So energy and commodity prices um, were significantly, you know, moving quite significantly during this move, actually, closed out a, a gold long uh, at just the right time. But that is not something that's good for inflation. So high energy costs, high commodity costs. Um, but... Another thing is, you know, the Fed 
the reason for them to possibly not hike rates as much, whether, you know, we're going from, I don't think it's a matter of, so I think anyone who's thinking, oh, they're not going to hike at all is, is honestly, it's pretty stupid. Uh, what the Fed doesn't like is uncertainty and they don't like hiking into uncertainty. So if anything, you know, what you're seeing is, and this is evident, uh, at least in um, Fed fund futures, that uh, the 50 basis point rate hike in March, which was kind of a foregone conclusion just a couple of weeks ago, is, you know, it appears to be off the table or not necessarily off the table, but just being um, priced uh, as having a very low probability of occurring. I think it's around 15% now. So maybe we go honestly from the nine rate hike max to something more like four to five rate hikes. Uh, but again, we'll see in a, a very short amount of time because that meeting is only a couple of weeks away. But let me open up the floor and uh, let me let Mike in on here. Hey, what's up, man? Just give me a sound check. Hey, Ryan. Good to talk to you again. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Good, good. Hey, um, I can't remember where I heard you say this, but um, I think I heard you say recently that, uh, you know, under these conditions, you're only taking your A-plus setups. Um, just kind of wondering uh, if you give a little more specifics on what your a plus setups might be i i don't know if once you get to your level if that's as clearly defined as it might be for a newer trader but um what your a plus setups are and then um you know under better conditions what um what what types of trades might you be willing to take that you wouldn't be now yeah so my a plus setups are i'd say that in general when i'm saying a plus setups uh most people should probably initially look to like the higher time frame support or resistance retests, um, you know, major contextual level retests. A plus setups are, you know, things like approaching, um, you know, approaching the lows, right, with a straight shot down like we had more recently, uh, you know, a, a retest of a major weekly level, day level. Just from a technical standpoint, the ones that stand out as being most actionable, at least on the short term, where you could, you know, almost guarantee that you're going to get some type of initial response. My A plus setups are more a little bit more nuanced. Um, they involve a little bit more analysis of overall positioning, whether I'm looking at uh, something like a very stark or obvious CBD uh, or delta divergence, um, you know, with respect to a either maintaining or increase in open interest, uh, and all of this occurring as price is putting in a very clean range, or um, when we're you know, we've taken out either a very significant high or low, and we see that there's a, a significant amount of volume through those levels. Those are more volume driven and open interest driven and just basic positioning driven. Um, my one of my bread and butter setups and a, a lot of traders have shared this uh, comes after a significant amount of liquidations where you do have a large wipe in open interest. Uh, and that is, again, that's something that uh, is a bit dangerous to to learn how to play. Um, just because it's, a, you know, when you're experiencing a large sell off or a large short squeeze, uh, it's hard to understand when you should act, like when, when are the liquidations done? When have we seen something that would, um, would, uh, I guess, constitute a, a large wipe where it's worth getting behind. A lot of these involve taking out a significant high or low. So most of these involve market structure as well. Um, I think for most people, the, the A plus setups, when I said to focus on them last week, 
would be just purely market structure driven, um, higher time frame stuff. My gotcha. positions are a lot more nuanced. Uh, so I think that it's, it's a little bit easier to, to observe them as I'm watching them happen. Uh, so for example, one of my setups that I actually didn't get behind, uh, and I was actually fa- one of the A plus setups, and this is something that often happens that I didn't get behind and I actually was fading it initially, but just stepped out, um, was the squeeze from, uh, 36.5 all the way out. And I wouldn't expect it to go. I mean, I, in my head, I was thinking I stepped away from my desk, honestly. Um, in my head, I was thinking, you know, this looks like something that's just about to take out 39 plus. Uh, but the, the lack of rolling over from, I was shorting or I was setting up a short when we were right around 36, looking for a loss of momentum, um, at the underside of the prior structure we just broke from, so the February 22nd lows. Uh, yep. I was looking at a loss of momentum there and what looked like a significant amount of longs that had opened up. Uh, and if anything, price should have failed there. Once we started trading back above where most of that positioning was put on and we still didn't have any kind of significant change in Binance's open interest, it just became obvious that we were going to cut through any levels above us like butter. And usually these are, they seem like they're, there's, they are difficult to get behind if you're not more experienced with this because it already looks like price put in a significant move behind it. So, you know, we already bounced from 34 region and at this point I'm shorting 36. Um, so the idea that, you know, getting long at 36.5 might seem daunting or, you know, at that point, perilous because, you know, we're still higher up and maybe we'll just reject moving higher up. But these kind of setups, uh, once price starts cutting through a very obvious level, so a level that should fade it, and you don't really have any kind of market structure above it, but a series of lower lows um, or lower highs, it would be, if it was the opposite, it would be for a, a long squeeze. These things usually just cover from one area market structure to the next. So it's easier to describe them. Actually, this would be easier to describe if it was on a live stream because I'd be sharing yeah. a chart. Um, but these I things actually you- do remember this. I actually do remember what you're talking about, though, because I was um, I think I was following along with you on Twitter at the time. And um, you got out looked like a few minutes before that, um, that huge pump. But, yeah. Um, so, it, like in general, in a case like that where open interest on Binance was going up and and price was just flat for a long time, you would be expecting those longs to um, get punished, though. So, or, is that more of a um, a conditions thing, or um, well, in general, the uh, so I was looking at specifically for the case of seeing longs get a little crowded. I was looking at uh, either Bybit or Bi- or Bitmex at the time. Um, Binance is open interest. So I'm not necessarily, I don't want to try to jump to too many conclusions about who is on side or offside with regard to Binance's open interest, just because there are times where like in this case, price was moving up, open interest is going up. If you looked at it on the lower setting chart, you'd see that, you know, it looked like open interest was going up, uh, as price is going up one for one. So you might say like, oh, it looks like longs are are getting offside here on Binance. On Binance, I would just look at the increase in open interest as just just general fuel, right? So not necessarily favoring one side or the other. 
And then, yeah, trying to build maybe a case for direction, you know, if another exchange confirms it, right? So if like Bybit is very one-sided um, or if in the case BitMEX has very clean order flow, if it was very one-sided. So initially I was looking at Binance's open interest thinking, hey, maybe this is a, a significant amount of longs that are open. Uh, I see on BitMEX that it looks like there's a lot of late long aggressiveness. So maybe most of this open interest increase is from longs. The problem is, you know, the open interest is still increased, right? Or is still high. So those contracts are still out there. If we continue to just trade up, still implies that someone has to cover, right? Whether it's a market maker, whether it's a passive seller. Um, and I didn't want to stay in that trade because the structure above us was a series of just marginally lower highs and lower lows. There was really nothing that we created on the way down that was like a sideways consolidation or any kind of structure that you would expect to, to do a significant job of standing in the way. So the idea that, you know, if you looked at a TPO is a little bit more, I guess it spoke a little bit louder. The TPO was this very big B. So a B is, uh, you could think of a B as a bottom. So mm -hmm. the structure is very volume heavy at the low. So regardless, of whether it looks like on one exchange or the other, you know, that's due to longs or shorts. The idea that you're trading above where all that came in means that whoever's on the long side is clearly still correct, right? The only people that start that need to start thinking about their decisions are clearly on the short side. If you're above all of it, right? There's no way you could say if you're above all of that volume that anyone who got in down who got involved down there who's a short is in good position whether they're a passive mm -hmm. seller or an aggressive seller. Um, so it just was a couple things lining up that I knew that I would rather pull myself out of the trade manually because if we started to move up, and I've drawn this in a live stream before, like a very slow cascading candle initially, uh, it, would, it would begin to accelerate, right? Because no one was covering at that point that we just started to move up, right? We didn't see really any change in open interest, which is, which is kind of a bad sign because that means that whoever's whoever got involved there is still hanging on. You only started to see the change in open interest when price broke like 36.6. Um, and then once you, once that change, once we started, that open interest started going down after breaking, uh, breaking upward out of that consolidation after I shorted, once it started breaking down, it's clear that a lot of that open interest um, was gonna get penalized, right? The market's gonna push in one direction uh, this is also driven by, you know, legacy markets too, though, but it's clear that, you know, the, the shorts and the sellers uh, were going to be on the wrong side of the ball because there's no way that they could be in good position below us. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I'll let them, they uh, appreciate it, Ryan. I'll, I'll let the next caller come in. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Hey, June. Gino. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Not bad. Um, I wanted to get your take on um, interpreting volume. I feel like there's a lot going on with looking at different exchanges and looking at spot versus, you know, derivatives volume. I wanted to, like, get your take on what mistakes people can make when interpreting that. Okay. Uh, so, for one, the derivatives market is, absent any kind of trend, the derivatives market is pretty much going to rule the market, right? Um, any kind of larger trend. Right. So if we're not breaking an all time high and and, uh, you know, and 
and putting in another macro trend, if we're just still stuck within a range, the derivative market is going to be doing most of the work. You know, that's where you're going to have most of the liquidity. So your size is going to be executing through derivatives for the most part, more often than not anyway. Um, as far as focusing on which derivative markets to sort of catch a lead from or just to focus on more importantly because they're they're leading price discovery. I mean, Binance is at the top of the list. I've said many times why I share, I look at, you know, Bybit, for example, or how BitMEX, you know, BitMEX has clean order flow. Bybit is for certain nuanced setups just because you have a lot of like very late participation on both sides of the trend on that market. Um, so they're, very, they're like very nice short-term setups that come through Bybit. But in terms of what volumes you should focus on the most, it should be, you know, your Binance perps, um, you know, Binance futures, and I would say FTX, honestly. It's way, it was, you know, there was a big change the last year. Uh, players like Huobi and OKX are really no longer, I would say, as significant as they used to be. Um, so I think that you have to, from just a volume standpoint, be most concerned with uh, the exchanges where your bigger players are going to be trading. And not just your bigger players, but where just most of the traders are going to be doing volume. Uh, because you have cases that are, you know, a bit more nuanced, like Bitfinex, which is, you know, sort of home of the whales, so to speak. Um, but but outside of, you know, that unique whale activity, it's not it's not like Bitfinex is doing a, you know, tremendous amount of volume compared to any of the other exchanges in the top 10. You know, it's not like it stands out um, compared to the obvious derivative markets are going to do more volume overall just because it's notional. But um, unless you have a more specific question with regard to volume. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of ask because you'll see people post charts saying like, oh, there's a bullish or bearish divergence. And they'll be looking at like a, you know, Bitcoin USD chart on Coinbase, for example. So it's like, is that just something not to look at? Or is that just sort of a proxy for what like the derivatives market might be showing in terms of volume as well? So most of, so the exchanges are going to be tied together regardless, just because market maker and bot activity. Um, Coinbase does a lot of volume, uh, being you know part of a lot of New York institutional desks doing business through Coinbase, um, doing a lot of volume period just throughout the New York session. I you know it's it's one of I would say it's probably in the top three of, of the things I consider, but it's the third, right? So it's it's Binance, FTX, and then Coinbase. Um, but as far as like divergences in volume, I, I'm assuming you're talking about like the basic sort of prices going up, volume is going down kind of thing, or maybe this part of the trend, we had more volume than that. And therefore this part of the trend is less strong. Is that what you mean? That kind of Yeah. Thing? Like, yeah. Like people will post like, oh, you know, the, they'll, they'll be looking at just like a spot, um, you know, spot Bitcoin on a certain exchange. And they'll say like, you know, there's declining volume here, uh, you know, pointing to a divergence. And I just wonder how reliable that is to look at if you're just looking at that isolated, you know? No, it's not. It's not really that reliable. Um, you have to get kind of an aggregated view on volume. But even then, like that whole, there's a lot of like paraphrase sort of TA 101 textbook stuff that's out there where it's like very simple. You know, if price is moving up on low volume, that's not bullish. Um, in general, like a pickup in volume means that there's a pickup in interest. Uh, same can be said with open interest. So if you are breaking out of a significant level, um, if you're breaking down through a significant level, a lot of volume coming in 
through that level, it's a good indication that that level's meaningful, right? Um, that, you know, the market is getting behind that move. But it's not as easy as saying if the market breaks through a level and there's no volume that it's not worth, you know, it's not worth getting behind or the trend is not legit. Because the other more, I guess, precise way you might want to think about it is um, that volume you could consider as being work. And honestly, if price is moving up on low volume, that means that it's not taking much activity to move price up, which means that there might not be a lot of passive sellers willing to offer it to begin with. So you could move Bitcoin from 40,000 to 40,500 uh, with completely different levels of effort, right? You could have a case where there's a lot of bids and you have to have a lot of volume to get from point A to point B. And you could have a case where the book just completely pulls and, you know, a few longs to get you to that one point, right? So I think you you have to think about it a little bit more nuanced period. Like when, when price is beginning to trend and it's not moving on high volume, you know, that might be an indication that there's not a lot of sellers, period, that are willing to offer it down. And that when you do actually run into volume, that's probably where your longs are getting caught off sides because they're finally running into someone that's willing to sell at those levels. And usually your passive seller is going to be your stronger hand. It's either going to be a market, you know, a, a bunch of market makers, or it's going to be, you know, a larger participant that's, you know, that's um, using limit offers in that case if price is moving up. And usually the the heavier hand is in the limit order. So it is a it's a lot more nuanced. Like the basic stuff is, oh, price is moving up on low volume, that's bad. Oh, price is moving down on low volume must mean that they don't want to sell it. Whereas really you should think of, you should think about it a little bit more. Um, I guess a little bit more precise than that rather as, you know, instead of you should just think about it as work versus results or effort versus results. Like how much volume is necessary to move price from point A to point B. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like, it sounds like it's almost uh, a little more important for like the low time frames interpreting yes. the volume. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Appreciate it. No problem, man. All right, who else wants to hop in? Don't be shy. So I guess a good um, a good example of that, just the idea of, of not a lot of volume being required, is it wasn't really there wasn't really much volume that was required to get the move going. Uh, from 36.5 all the way up to 40. Uh, and if you look at, and I don't really like to, I don't often lean on heat, heat maps. Uh, the only time I take note of certain things on heat maps is when you've had either a consistent player that's been present um, either in the bid or the offer, but a lot of the, the short-term activity shuffling around, that's a lot of spoofing behavior. It's a lot of market maker behavior. It's a lot of noise, um, but there wasn't much movement that was required to get prices going when you had a significant amount of offside positioning and you didn't have a lot of players that were actually offering price down between this was like between 38 and 40. Um, so the books across exchanges were uh, were relatively empty. So it was kind of like a, a vacuum. And it makes sense because it, this, from a structural standpoint, I mean, you always want to see if there's confluence from a structural standpoint. I think uh, most people realize that 
there are certain types of structures that were that warrant certain responses. Uh, and again, as I was describing, I always describe this much better and draw it out in a live stream or show examples. The structure that was built on the way down from this was on the way down from the 23rd from you know 39 all the way down to 36.7. That structure before that precipitous drop. Um, is the kind of structure that very easily gets ran. And a lot of times I share a chart where I point, to give you an example, maybe something you remember me posting, I'll share a chart and I'll have multiple X's, right? Especially in the case of long liquidations that are possibly setting up, you have a series of slightly higher lows, right? Price is kind of grinding upward, but it hasn't swept any prior lows. It's very easy for if price moves back in that direction for its cascade. And this is just a case where we had that occur to the upside and the structure was built perfectly for that. And again, there wasn't much volume that was required until the volume came in from the forced buyers, right? So from sellers being forced to buy, there wasn't much volume that was necessary, necessary to move price from point A to point B because there was no one really stepping in the way, right? There was no one really offering price down. So it's not like it took much work to get it from, you know, 38 to 40 uh, because there was really no friction on the way up. All right, Mike, let me get you back in here. Hey, what's up, Al? Hey, nobody, nobody jumped on, so I figured <laughs> no I'd ask another one. <laughs> um, on exocharts, um, so when I'm monitoring Binance, uh, I find that when in t when the volume is really starting to pick up, um, using a, a tick-based chart can be um, somewhat difficult to monitor just because of how much activity there is. And um, I started looking at uh, Delta-based periodicity, and um, I've never heard you talk about that. Do you have Do you have any thoughts on using Delta? Yeah. So the the thing about uh, like a Delta-based periodicity, and the opposite, the thing about a volume-based periodicity. One, I like I like either a trend reversal, a tick chart, so a, a trades chart, um, or a volume periodicity. So anytime you use any version of like a delta or a volume, you're just standardizing that across all bars, right? So you actually get to pick up better on what you're not using, right? So if you're using a volume-based periodicity, you get to pick up better on the actual delta that is making up that volume. And the opposite could be said for a delta-based periodicity. Right? Delta-based periodicities are good for taking advantage of momentum plays where you could actually see how the volume is changing off of a standardized delta bar. So if you have like a, you know, a, a delta bar that is, you know, based on, um, you know, 5 million or 2 million, whatever it is, right? That's always going to be a constant for every, for the creation of every single bar. But what you can begin to see at that point is the changes of volume that are coming in on behalf of that delta. Uh, I don't really prefer, honestly, a, a delta chart. It's what I've used least. Um, I, my, if I'm using a tick chart, or a volume chart, that's when the market is moving a lot. And I wanna see where a lot of activity is coming into the market just because it's gonna be visually really obvious. Um, and for this, I won't even necessarily use like a footprint. I'll use it on, I'll use like just a basic candlestick chart that's using that to create a candlestick. The only time that I, I use a trend reversal chart is when volume, when things are moving a little bit slower uh, and I don't, and because they're moving slower, I only want to see the really clean structure that's left behind. Um, and if price is ranging and it's been bracketed, there's going to be a lot of noise that I just kind of want to eliminate for. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't use the 
I don't use the delta. I probably in all of my trading, I probably use the delta base periodicity the least. Uh, I, you know, that might just be because I haven't found the the necessary need for it. Um, but when the market is moving, I honestly prefer the volume or the tick because when you have stop runs, for example, when you have trap trading setups, um, it, it becomes really obvious on a volume chart or a tick chart just because you see that burst in activity come in. You st you'll suddenly start to see that you know a lot of bars are created in one particular area. And this usually means that you have a lot of small bars. So that's another thing about the um, – and this, uh, this is something you could notice on all non-time-based periodicities. You could see levels of liquidity because if you're looking at a volume chart or a tick chart, a very large candle and a very small candle imply two completely different levels of liquidity, right? So you could see absorption actually uh, much better if you're using something like a volume chart, right? Because immediately you start to see, well, when price was moving between point A and point B, there was only like three bars that were needed to be printed. And that's because it didn't take much from, to move price from point A to point B. So once you start to see that we're printing candle after candle after candle, that's a good indication that either you're getting a lot more trading activity if you're using a tick-based chart, or if you're using a volume-based chart, that that's an area where there's a lot more volume coming in. And you can begin to make assumptions based on how price is moving after that, whether or not there's a good sign that that side is being, you know, that that particular area is absorbing activity or, you know, or not. Um, so honestly, the delta-based periodicity is the one that I'm least familiar with. Uh, and I just haven't found a reason to, to really use it over the others that I've been um, using more frequently. Gotcha. Yeah, I was I was experimenting with it, and it, it might be because I'm still relatively new to um, using footprints. It was just I was finding with how many candles we're printing and at higher volume times, it's just um, it, it's just a lot of noise to um, to deal with. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and I find myself having a difficult time remembering the recent context when um, so many candles are being printed, but. You know, I, I could be. I, I'm just not used used to so it as, my, as much as I need to be. So my tick chart um, that I'm using, like for example, the tick chart I have open right now, I always have a time-based chart open. Also, so I always have a one-hour chart or a half-hour chart that's time-based open. Uh, that's based on time open. It sounded funny. Um, just to be able to have a zoomed-out chart. But you know, I, I've shared before. Like there are different tick settings that I'll adjust that I know are more similar to a higher time frame chart. So, for example, if I'm trading a, a perpetual swaps, if I'm trading, excuse me, coin margin swaps, um, my low time frame tick setting will be, it'll probably be 2.5 million contracts. And then if I want to get like an idea of maybe what like a five minute version of that chart looks like, so I could zoom out a little bit, but so I don't also, you know, lose what the tick chart or the volume based period periodicity is, is allowing me to see a little bit more cleanly. I'll use something like a, I'll have a, a 10 million contract or a 20 million contract favorited just so I could also get a sort of bigger picture view. But I think, you know, the, the lower time frame charts are, you don't, you should always have a, a bigger, you should always have a higher time frame chart local either way that you could always reflect on um, just to get, just always remember where you are in the middle of everything. Right. Uh, the Delta based chart, just to, to go over something that actually is useful from them. And I don't know, did, have you ever read the market Delta, um, uh, workbook on periodicities? No, I haven't. No. Okay. So you know what I'll do? Just go ahead and uh, send me a direct message on Twitter and I'll send you, it's a 
it's a long PDF, but it it's from Market Delta, which is the original footprint creator. And they go over each uh, periodicity and sort of the strategies and the benefits of using one over the other. There's no reference to crypto at all. This is from like 15 years ago. But um, one of the things is with a Delta-based candle, you could see where the aggressiveness is. You know, when you have each candle based on, you know, a standardized Delta, it, it's also good to see with a volume profile type of structure. So, you know, you have your bid-ask candles, but with a Delta-based periodicity, it might be good to use more of a volume-based profile in each individual candle, because then you could see where the, if the aggression is, you know, in the case of an uptrend, if it's still coming in towards the high of the candle, right? If you're still seeing essentially, you know, if you're in a strong uptrend or a trend that has momentum, um, and we're just gonna constantly use the example of moving up because we like going up. Uh, if you're in a strong uptrend, you wanna see the buyers are consistently buying higher, right? That they're interested in buying higher. So you would mm -hmm. wanna see that most of the volume is coming in towards the candle close, right? Towards the high. Uh, and I think that the Market Delta PDF does a pretty good example or gives pretty good examples of this um, and also has a bunch of other periodicities if you're interested in as well and sort of approaches. But they're, you know, they're using them in the ES, the NQ, um, Treasury, some some stuff that um, it's not going to perfectly translate, but it's it's very similar to what you'd be looking for either way in, in crypto. Gotcha. I appreciate it. I'll, yeah, I'll send you a message. And uh, yeah, that'd be great. I'd, I'd love oh. to read through that. Um, awesome. Or you know what's easier? Because I'm just going to route you this way anyway. Uh, my sure. my Telegram is the same handle as my Twitter account, so it's at Cantering Clark. Just send me a message. Okay. You know, say to your mic, and and I'll send you that because uh, I can attach a file there. Appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Um, uh, yeah. So this week I was after we talked last week I was. Um, I had four instances of XO up and on, uh, I think I, what did I have? I had Binance, I had Bybit, um, BitMEX and um, FTX up. And uh, I, I run two machines and I, I have one, I, one machine was pretty much dedicated just to XO because it's such a hog. Um, when you said you're monitoring all the exchanges on EXO, does that mean simultaneously? Like you, um, I mean, your machine's probably more powerful than mine, but um, are are you having them up at all times? So, you, um, or are you flipping through? No, so like I'm always trying to get my setup set up perfectly because um, I'll find like time to time. Like I'm a per so myself in general. Like I'm a person who needs to switch things up like every few months. Like the whether you're talking about like the setup of your office or the setup of your desktop, honestly, um, always trying to find out if maybe something is redundant or unnecessary or I just have it up, but I've never used it. Um, mm -hmm. So more more recently um, and it depends on what my intention is, like I'm always going to have the tape. So agri tape is always going to be directly in front of me. Um, I'll always have a Bybit footprint right in front of me because Bybit is where you get sort of that, um, those anomalies or I, similar to what I said the other day is those aberrations where just out of nowhere, some guy comes on by, guy or girl, whatever, uh, decides it's like a good time to get long 10 million contracts on Bybit. So I always wanna be able to see that on Bybit if that happens. Um, mm -hmm. 
because you'll never see that get rewarded on Bybit. It's probably well after a move has already been in place, well after all your Binance traders are in profit, you know, your FTX players are in profit. It just seems to be the case that on Bybit, someone is always really late. So I always want to have that viewable. But what I do have is like in my periphery, I'll have um, just a tick-based chart for BitMEX uh, with the open interest. You could use long shorts as well. So net longs, net shorts. I've done more looking into this more recently just because a long time ago, I was like a little skeptical of using the XO long shorts, but it's really just going off a of Delta and open interest. And as long as you're looking at it uh, in the session, I think it's very accurate. So in my periphery, I have, um, I have the uh, Binance and BitMEX uh, just small charts, just so I could very quickly see like what the situation is across the leading exchanges. Um, I'll have, uh, I'll have, excuse me, no, I, I'm sorry, I said, um, I, I forgot to mention FTX. So I just have sort of a, a session view of what's taking place today across every exchange. But that's not like in my front and center because it's not really useful me useful for me to look at that constantly. I just kind of need to know like a heads up, hey, what's going on across you know, is there anything that stands out rather? It's really, that's honestly what I'm always looking for. Is there anything, and that's honestly what most of my A plus setups come from. Is there anything that stands out, right? Is there anything that's like grossly out of whack in terms of positioning? Like, you know, if price has been stuck in a range and we have a huge uptick in participation on Binance or huge uptick in participation on, on Bybit, um, those setups are going to be my, my setups that I'm going to look to get heavy behind and they're not as mechanical as more of my intraday trading. Uh, but I always have an idea of these, you know, what's taking place on these exchanges. Um, but front and center, it's just just a basic BTC chart, my ladder, uh, the market profile as big as possible, because I also want to get an idea of like our previous days, you know, where we sit within greater context uh, and the tape. Um, I have a news feed that's on my left, that's on my vertical screen. Uh, on that, I also have a, um, a coin analyzed chart. I have the funding rates on a tab. These are things that I don't need to like constantly look at, but I, I will shuffle through them a few times just to update and say, okay, you know, where are we with um, overall spot CVD, perp CVD, USDT CVDs, uh, just to get sort of a bigger picture view. That's not uh -huh. something I need to constantly look at because it's only that's usually going to be if I'm looking for like a swing trade or, you know, if we're developing in an area where maybe a swing trade might be attractive and I want to see, you know, how the market is positioning around this. For the most part, I'm looking at the tape, a small footprint profile and just a, a low time frame chart. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, with your, with your tape settings, it looks like you use three columns. Um, is, is, is that just one for futures, one for perps, one for spot? So yeah, I have a I have a spot chart, uh, excuse me, a spot tape. I have a perp tape, and then the third chart is actually it's not a um, it's not a, just a futures tape. It's a futures tape with uh, liquidations and a very high setting for volume. So I have it's not very high, but it's just over uh, one million contracts only. So okay. the thing you know, you know, order flow in crypto is a pain in the butt because you have so many exchanges. Uh, and one thing, you know, something might happen on one exchange over the other that might be very meaningful and you could miss out on it, obviously. So a footprint is really good because it's like a tape memory, right? Um, I don't really have to worry about missing out on those crazy buyers or sellers that come in on Bybit because I'm always, the footprint's always right in front of me, right? I can always look back the last couple of candles and say, hey, did I miss it? Whereas the tape, it's like, 
if if you don't have uh, 500 rows or 1,000 plus rows, like you might miss something. So I, I like right. to have one row solely dedicated to high volume because there's not many times where you're going to get high volume coming in um, that's going to get lost in that in that feed unless it's like a significant breakthrough level where I already know at that point something's going on. I'm not losing it. Um, but so, yeah, I have the spot tape, the perp tape, and then I have uh, just the large order tapes because my, my um, spot and my perp tape are not – they don't have like a high volume threshold. So I want to have them pretty, I want to have them uh, relatively low, just so I also have an idea of, of general interest, right? General participation, not just like all the buys that come in that are over 500 million, you know, 500 K contracts. I want to have an idea of the general flow of activity, which means that you can't have a two, you know, you can't have a setting that's too high. Also, if you have a setting that's too high, you know, you might miss out on some interesting activity in the form of like a TWAP running, uh, which is not necessarily going to run at like a high volume count, right? It might be like a 10K TWAP or a 15K or 20K. Um, and you'll see that, you know, there's consistent, you know, sort of uh, algorithmic activity or very um, paced activity. And it's not, you know, a bunch of 5K buyers or a bunch of 15K buyers is a TWAP running. Uh, and then below that, I have, um, I just have the split of buyers versus seller activity from 30 seconds all the way out to to uh, one hour just to see the shift you know in delta okay um so that paint i don't know if you use agar so i let me just nate i was gonna say i didn't tell you the pain so when you go into agar there's some you know the button called pain where you could add another pain um, and the thing oh, that I right, have right. Yep. added, I have the counter interval on. Okay. So it shows the buys and sells by time interval, and I have it set to 30 seconds, one minute, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, and then one hour. Gotcha. I, I haven't played with that one yet. So all of that is, you know, this, the same as having a, a tick chart up with the open interest. These are things I could very quickly look at and get a feel from. Right? So I could very quickly see from the counter, you know, whether or not – the activity has been um, mostly aggressive buyer driven or mostly aggressive seller driven. And when that's sort of come in, has that come in in the last minute? Has it come in? Is that, you know, something that's beginning to pick up? So it just, these things are very quick visual cues that I could sort of lean on rather than having to like, you know, dig in under the surface. I see. I see. And um, I'm, I may have misunderstood you, but, in in your column that's just high volume um did you say that's just futures or is that perps and futures and no that's um, perps and futures okay that's not spot gotcha. so yeah that's just perps and futures because my next question was going to be if um is there any difference in interpreting uh interpreting what you see on the tape between perps and futures uh like are you are you taking anything different from from those two okay. i mean the only thing is so the future, any kind of futures activity is not something I'm going to be focused on too much. Uh, the only time that it, you know, it'll, if the, if, if you're seeing that, you know, it's, it is, uh, it, you know, it's, for example, like, you know, we had a significant move down and, you know, at this time you have a Bifinex, pretty significant spot buyer. You know, this is at the low end of a, of a, a very high time frame range at this point. Seeing that there was a lot of, 
of buying activity coming through in the futures market is, you know, it helps build, I guess, an argument for this being a, a very desirable low because the players using those instruments are, they're using those instruments because a lot of the times they're holding on to or building longer term positions to, and they're looking to avoid any kind of, um, you know, they're looking to avoid any kind of financing cost. And they're also taking advantage of, at this point, the term structure being really flat, right? So, and that's, you know, that when term structure is really flat and futures are, you know, the, the, those longer dated tenors are more in line with the spot price, they're, they're attractive, period, just to use as, a, you know, to build a position around the linear futures contracts, just because you don't have to pay funding, right? Um, normally, you'd have to pay a premium, but if they're in line, right, if they're flat or backward dated, like it, it it doesn't make sense to trade a perp in that, you know, it doesn't make sense to, to use a perp unless liquidity is like drastically different. Um, so seeing that is seeing that, you know, helps build an argument. I, I don't think that it's necessarily that I, I have the futures included, but I think more importantly for that tape, I'm just looking at, you know, what I don't pick up on footprint charts because I don't use footprint charts for like Binance or for, you know, FTX. Um, so these are just large possible imbalanced orders that I wouldn't otherwise see because I I don't have that many things open. Like I have a lot of stuff open already, but I can't look at, you know, the FTX footprint, the buy, you know, the Binance footprint, the, you know, Bifinex footprint, if there is even, you know, a Bifinex footprint. Um, so the purpose of having that tape and set to a high volume is typically your your trappy setups and your even the beginning of momentum uh, will occur with those larger players coming in. And there's a slim chance that that tape is gonna move nearly as fast as the other tapes. So I'm gonna always be able to kind of reflect on it a little bit easier. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, great, great. Well, thanks. Um, I won't take up any more of the time. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Mike. All right, Rocket. Hey, what's going on, pal? Hey, can you hear me? Hey, uh, loving the vibe. I had a question about market manipulation. Um, how, how much is this like being controlled by people at you know the major exchanges? Are they sort of watching everything and like, okay, now's the time to do a scam wick and pump it? Um, do you think they actually have active teams or is it third parties? And do they collude? Uh, I would say that, yeah, that's probably definitely a reality and a really strong one um so one i mean it's it's not like there's a real regulatory burden compared to legacy markets uh <clears throat> you know you have like if you trade on the cme you have programs that are designed to pick up on possible spoofing and possible manipulative manipulative algo activity um to penalize people right uh in crypto you don't have any kind of like watchdog looking out for that um, and it's just like a handful of reasons why this market is so like easily uh, a good market for anyone who wanted to manipulate markets, period. Um, definitely, I mean, exchanges have access to, you know, there's sort of like a, like a Chinese wall or obviously a line that's drawn between the exchange and then the exchange's trading desk. In the case of like, you know, FTX has Alameda, right? Um, I would imagine every exchange has some type of trading outfit that is like, you know, not connected to them, but you know, it's, you know, 
connected to them in some form, just because they have access to so much retail information, right? The same way that like Robinhood um, is a good provider of order flow information, right? Um, that's why you don't pay for, that's why you don't pay any fees on Robinhood, right? Because if the product is free, you are the product, right? So it's pay for flow, it's pay for order flow. Um, so I, it's absolutely like, it's a no brainer that that takes place. And it's in these kind of conditions, it's gonna be more prevalent because the market is absent any kind of exogenous outside influence and trend. So when the market is ranging, it's definitely gonna be a very, um, uh, let's say, um, cannibalistic market. Uh, very player versus player. Um, the, the term used a while back, I think it was by Arthur originally, was there's like a bounty put on leveraged participants, right? Because you know, large participants, whales, they don't use leverage. Um, high frequency trading firms might use a lot of leverage for particular strategies, uh, just because it is at that point, they're using it to be capital efficient. But usually the people that are using excess leverage, and this is probably, this means like, 5x and above, honestly, are your retail participants. Um, and exchanges have access to all of the activity that comes through their exchange, right? So it only makes sense that they know where pockets of, of capital have come in. Um, so if there is like, you know, for example, if there's a large increase, and this is like something that's always a fear if you're trading like a thin alt on FTX, if you are trading with size, and you change the open interest drastically, right? Alameda is aware that someone just came into the market, right? And, you know, through FTX is probably getting that information and knows exactly sort of the uh, positioning behind that, right? They could rebuild your positioning and, and know where your, you know, possible pain points are. So there's definitely like a bounty put on the, uh, there's definitely a bounty put on players in the futures market, like 100%. Um, the, this market becomes very uh, predatorial. I guess that's a word I would use for it. You know, it's pushing the market around in legacy markets occurs like that used to happen in, in FX markets. And that was, you know, on the weekends when liquidity dries up, it was easier to run stops. Definitely happens in crypto, 100 uh, percent, especially when exchanges more than likely have some type of party that they're connected to. That is an exchange desk that is related to them and they have access to all of the retail flow. Right. It, it only makes sense that they sort of seek out those points in the market um, to cause sort of max pain when there is, again, no, there's no major underlying trend where it's just retail coming in on spot exchanges and fiat on ramps and buying and overwhelming market makers and overwhelming anyone who's stepping in front of the trend. Right. It's, it's, it's very much the case that this market is manipulated in that way. Uh, but that's just the way that this market is manipulated is the way that all markets are manipulated to some degree and would be more if they weren't as regulated. Crypto is just more of the Wild West. But it also makes sense to, you know, FTX, I think they said last time that Sam did a really long thread, not last time, but because he's done a ton. But Trabuco talked about something along the lines of knowing that there was a large you know, amount of open interest and that they were just going to try to push the market uh, against those pain points because they knew it would lead to a larger move. And, and that's called momentum ignition. When one party knows and is large enough to find an edge in actually pushing the market through particular areas where they know it'll cause a cascade. And if you know that it's going to cost you 
you know, if you know that you need to move the market 1% to get it going 10%, well, you might be willing, and you not might, you definitely would be willing to pay the cost. And I'm sure they have it all, you know, very quantitatively figured out what the cost would be upfront mm-hmm. to pay to just market their way through that level because they know once it passes, you know, once it passes X point, it's going to travel another 8%. And they know this because they know that most of the activity that's come in is likely positioned around that area and that that type of activity or open interest closing out lead would lead to, you know, traditionally this type of, you know, multi-standard deviation move. I think, you know, you get the idea that it's 100% taking place in these conditions. Are they, that's what, are they, that's what those, what's that? Are they taking the other side of the trade though? Like, you know, we can we can buy a certain amount of coin or sell it, push it down, cause the cascades, and we've already taken leverage positions on the other side. So it's like super profitable. I wouldn't see I wouldn't see why they wouldn't do it. You know, I don't see anything that would stand in the way of them doing it either. And especially, <laughs> um, I mean, listen, any kind of punishment, regardless, would come down to uh, punitive. It would come down to some type of it would be punitive, but it would be monetary, right? It would, it would not like if, if, if the hammer was dropped on the crypto market and, you know, they, you know, for example, Hayes was just, they were handed, I guess, a $10 million fine, right? I don't think they were like sentenced yet. They could five years in prison possibly, but $10 million when you're worth billions is kind of like, well, what's the incentive for me to not kind of, you know, try to skirt this rule or get away with this until we, you know, really can't anymore. So I, I think absolutely they've taken, I think Alameda is probably the best, you know, one of the best traders <laughs> and they're, you know, the creators of FTX basically. Um, so hands down, they're, they're taking, they're taking any opportunity they can. You and think it they, doesn't have to just be the exchange. It's, it's just any kind of large counterparty in this market. Right. It's easy to do it in this market. You know, you know, when you're bouncing on a trampoline and three of you bounce at the same time and it pushes super high, like, uh, yeah, they, colluding sometimes they all have the same strategy because they're looking at the same data and sort of make a move and it just goes crazy or are they colluding at all or you know how do you think they think about the meta game their their other whales are doing or the other market makers i don't know honestly yeah i don't know i haven't i haven't gone that far to think if if they're colluding and working together um i think that in general everyone's looking at the same market so when you're that large and when you're of that status um your trading just does become differently period so you know if you're a retail trader and we all look at like the same support and resistance to trade you know a a whale or a large trading desk or these large players that are directional in this case um they look at the same opportunities together too right so it's i don't think they necessarily need to collude as much as they all just join in regardless because it's the opportunities presented Right. And then last question for me, does that mean that there's sort of this sort of core strategy that people that are newer to the market where, you know, there's there's times where the the price action is driven by macro, like, you know, the pouring thing like that, um, or the S&P versus when these manipulators can have direct control, like on the weekends where they can easily manipulate it. Like, is it is it better to have a strategy of taking a position when clearly it's, the price is being driven by some macro? Um. I mean, I don't know if, if I would say that there's like a better period that you should look for uh, and then start trying to like go down the road of discerning when the, the macro is having an effect and when it isn't. Just because moving forward, 
defining what is no longer much of a macro effect versus what uh, is. So just to be clear, like the correlation between the S&P and BTC, um, there's a higher probability that it stays strong and gets stronger than weakens. There's going to be short-term breaks of that, but I think the market consensus is right now that crypto is a risk asset. So it's a very liquid risk asset. Um, it's like a leveraged ETF on the S&P. <clears throat> and a lot of trading desks are spinning up the same approach to the to BTC as they are to the S&P knowing that. So the correlation is very uh, self-fulfilling or, or, you know, in that case, user-generated. Um, so I don't, you know, I think that that's just going to kind of be the, stand, the status quo. I mean, we'll get to a point where, you know, whenever this is where the, when the S&P sort of finds its footing uh, for the longer term, where you'll start to see those correlations loosen, right? Where they'll be in general correlated, right? But it'll be, it won't be the same lower time frame tick correlation that we have, right? Um, you know, it'll just be like, okay, S&P is a beta of one, Bitcoin's a beta of three. As long as the S&P isn't falling off a cliff and is stable, then crypto should be fine. Um, but I, I, I don't know if I would try to identify when, I mean, when the market is ranging and I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I would go down that route. Yeah. I wouldn't really try to discern when the best time is to, uh, try to, I guess, avoid being part of, do you mean being part of market manipulation? Meaning like step out so that you don't get, you're not part of these sort of scammy periods or larger moves I'm, I'm not maybe i'm not sure what, you, what your question is hey you're cutting out rocket yeah uh, I, I can't hear you so. So, oh i could hear you now so if you want to just repeat it hello can't hear you Sound like I just picked up the phone, right? Hello? <laughs> I lost you, bud. I think in general, um, if you were to say, like, when is the time where this might be more prevalent and might be best avoided, it would be like some a place to look would be, and this probably answers uh, to a degree, would be to look at um, general trading volumes. Uh, and periods of high versus low activity throughout the week. You could go on something like Genesis Volatility, SKU has this, and get a breakdown of the uh, overall levels of, of volume throughout the week broken down by the hour of the day too. And just, um, it's more likely that the market's pushed around or you, you know that it's easier to push around during periods of lower liquidity. So that's why like the weekend concept became really popular. Oh, they're going to, you know, run stops in the weekend. That's again, that's from foreign exchange markets, that concept. Uh, if you look more recently, it's actually not necessarily the case that it's the, it's drastically different. I mean, it's subtly different, but it's not drastically different. But if you just have a period where some liquidity providers are, you know, away from their desk uh, and there's less liquidity, then yeah, it's easier to have scammy behavior during these periods. And, and you can see those periods um, and how sessions break down by using something 
uh, like you would find on Genesis volatility, which I think is just under-realized volatility, and then you get a heat map of all the activity. So you can begin to say, okay, maybe I don't want to trade uh, between the, you know, uh, you know, starting at Tuesday Asian session because the market's really thin, and that's a period where it would be easy to push the market around. And absent, you know, any kind of larger prevailing trend, maybe that's just a better time until we have one to to not trade uh, to begin with. <clears throat> but I lost you. I can't hear you. So let me just take the next caller, Statics. Hey, can you hear me? Hello? Uh, yeah, should be good. Hey, what's going on? Hey, man. Um, so since a lot of the conversation today has been just sort of around uh, order flow, I was just curious if you, like I've seen some other people talk about finding more of an edge trading order flow in alts just because like some of the data can be, uh, I guess, like more exaggerated. You can kind of see more people off sides on alts just because it's not like you don't have as big of players i was just curious like what your thoughts were on that or if you play alts at all yeah i was wondering if you heard me say that a couple of weeks ago as my reasoning for trading alts <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a, basically what exactly what i said when i said i was getting into trading alts more on the lower time frames versus just taking sort of the obvious passive swing plays um which is what i've been doing for a long time i've you know been focusing primarily on btc order flow uh, at a, again, it's more atomized than taking, you know, your higher time frame swing trades. But when alts were at sort of a presentable area from a risk reward standpoint, I would, you know, take all the alt trades I could get, especially when the market had momentum. Uh, but I had shifted because BTC was, and this is probably now two months ago or three months ago. I can't exactly remember. Bitcoin was just getting boring, um, listless. And it wasn't necessarily that it was always listless, but it was it was becoming a lot more it's been a lot more legacy driven um, just because the level of participation on BTC has changed. The depth of players has changed and alts are very retail driven. Uh, so I think that those kind of, it, go, it, it ties hand in hand with the Bybit nuance setup. Those new, those retail participants are going to be the ones that are aping in at the worst possible area. Bybit it's good because they're doing that and they're able to, yank their positions up with a ton of leverage. Uh, and obviously that has grave implications for, for most traders. If you're using a lot of leverage trading with a lot of size and you're on, you know, on the wrong side of the ball. So I think alts are really good because they don't have the same, I guess, you know, to take a phrase from athletics, they don't have the same depth chart, right? It's, it's very retail driven. There's a few smart players. So I think the sort of dichotomy or difference between the smart traders and the dumb traders on alts, is a lot more obvious um, and the trappy setups are, again, they, they stand out much more because alts are very reflexive, very narrative driven, um, very FOMO driven, right? Which is, you know, FOMO in, in both directions, FOMO to panic, uh, no FUD, you know, FOMO, FOMO for the downside is what I was trying to get at. It sounded stupid, but um, yeah, I, I think that order flow in alts has been very useful. Now I don't, necessarily say that I'm looking at alt footprints as much as looking at alt um, alt volume, alt open interest, and just in general looking at, you know, the order books on alts and uh, and a tape for alts as well. So I've, I've started using a tape for alts um, the same way that I would use a tape for BTC. 
not as broken down, just a general tape and just trying to pick up more on um, where, you know, where we see big changes in interest, where we see significant volume come in at a lower time frame, rather on a lower time frame. And uh, this with, you know, this with open interest, I think it makes for it, it makes for really good setups with regard to, again, traps right through major levels, breakdowns through levels that, you know, a lot of people are going to panic at um, and break up through levels where a lot of people are going to be, you know, jumping in and FOMOing. And again, the breakdown between all traders and and majors traders now, I'd even say, is a lot different. Right. It's it's not uh, you haven't seen the smart money really kind of. I guess I would say distort lower time frame activity the same way it does or they did, excuse me, on BTC. So now Bitcoin trades more like the uh, E-mini futures contracts, um, which are not very fun to trade on the low time frames um, when they're sort of just left for themselves. I mean, it, you know, it's if you go from crypto to legacy trading, crypto traders are very driven to be breakout traders and all you're going to see trading the ES is just, you know, stuffed nonstop breakout stuff, breakdown stuff. It's just a lot of, of just meaner version. Um, and the ATR is completely, it's a completely different trading instrument, but uh, I think that alts are, yeah, absolutely alts and order flow, uh, rather using order flow and profile as well, applying the same principles to alts, I think has been very generous. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I trade ES in the mornings and then tr typically switch over to crypto during the days. Um, have you found a decent alt that has like more reliable, I guess, order flow? So like I tried tracking, um, I guess, like Seoul. And so you look at like the delta on Seoul and it'll be like on par with the chart and you'll see some divergences. And then all of a sudden for like six or eight hours straight, like the delta will just go like straight down while price goes like sideways or whatever. Like I don't know, it's just like, it seems like it loses correlation after a while. I was curious if you have like a, a pairing that's more on point. So I don't have a, uh, I don't have a consistent pairing with alts. Um, what I've done and I've shared this chart, uh, I shared this chart a bunch of times on Twitter. I'm, and I haven't been trading alts in the last, I can't talk about them like I'm trading them this morning or anything. I've, I've taken a few punts, but I haven't been trading alts as actively. And I only got into trading them very actively, not too long anyway. But um, as far as order flow goes and, and using these different tools for alts, uh, I haven't traded them in like the last week and a half actively. But what I was doing was I was every morning, you know, getting an idea of who the movers, you know, same way if you were like a penny stock trader, if you're a, you know, an equities trader, um, getting an idea of who the movers are for the day, right? Who the leading horses are. And, and it might be for a while, it might've been Luna, AVAX, Solana. Um, and then it switched over to, you know, to near phantom harmony. Um, and really it's just, it's applying the same principles that I do BTC, but taking advantage of them through an alt and then finding the alts where, there's even a good enough amount of volume and participation there to really trade meaningfully to begin with. Right. I, I you know, I, I don't want to trade something that's too tiny. I want to trade something that actually, you know, has a decent amount of liquidity uh, and is actually just moving, right. That has some kind of zip to it. Cause that's the thing, like Bitcoin lost its zip for a while. Um, so 
you know, I've said it a few times, like skating where the puck is going is really important. So every morning that might involve going on like Masari and putting on some type of filter filter for relative volume. I mean, it, it doesn't take much if you have a good Twitter following, because you can honestly see where most of the interest is for weeks at a time. Uh, and then just focusing on those pairs. And then that might, yeah, the, sure. the point is, that point is it's not like I'm sticking with trading Luna now, right? It's not like, I mean, hell, it was, it was good the other day. It placed a pretty decent short and it's actually recovered a lot, but um, it's not sticking with them, right? Like I'm sticking, I stick with trading BTC and ETH, but my alts are just going to be dictated based on if there's actual interest still in that pair by the market. Uh, because the idea is those pairs are, alts become very momentum driven, um, and, uh, I want to be trading order flow when something does have a, a good amount of momentum to it. That's fair. That's probably where I'm running into issues is like, I'll pull up volume for the day and see that soul's got high volume or whatever. And then when that falls off, that's probably when the Delta just like drops off and like stops having a correlation. Like I watch CBD most of the time, watch for like divergences or like when we sweep points of liquidity or whatever. But then, like, sometimes CVD will just, like, completely, like, unpair. So that, that makes sense. It's probably that I just need to switch to a different coin. Yeah, and also, it's not just, like, the overall volume because, for example, like, Solana, Luna, AVAX, they might seem permanently good now if you just went overall by overall volume because now they're on every exchange. They're some of the more popular trading pairs. Uh, I think more importantly is, like, a pickup in relative volume, right, because – now Solana is just going to trade on high volume anyway, right? It's a top 10 pair. Um, I think it's still a top 10 pair. I might be wrong. I might be uh, off the beat on that one. But really for me, it's about an, in an increase in relative volume, um, relative volume and relative performance, right? Just to know that there's a pickup in participation in that pair. And you could isolate yeah, for that. There's a bunch of different ways, you know, on whether you're using like uh, coin checkup or Masari or coin gecko and just, you know, changing your filters to pick up on, you know, relative changes in volume. Or you could use like a moving average on your, you know, you could go on trading view and use a volume moving average, but that's like a little bit smoother and a little bit more. Um, that's a little bit later, obviously. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'll, uh, I'll give that a shot. I'm sure that that'll fix a lot of the issues that I've been running into. Cause I know that people have been making like, I guess like easier plays. Like I'll see somebody post a chart where, like you can watch, it's basically like watching Bitcoin where Bybit gets con, like just completely off sides and it's just the most obvious move, but they get that a couple times a day on alts and I just haven't been able to find them. Yeah, and I also find that honestly <clears throat> um, with alts, you could lean on structure a lot more. I mean, it's looser, so it's they're less liquid. So like the levels aren't going to trade, I guess, as technically on a, from like a fine line standpoint, but since they're so retail driven, those self-fulfilling methods that are like comically useless in legacy markets now, um, and not like they're useless, but you know, your TA trader can make a living trading crypto, but cannot make a living probably trading, you know, the NASDAQ, right? Off of, you know, patterns and trend lines. But with alt, those things that the market most commonly adopt because they're so retail driven, they haven't been smoothed away yet. So they respect technical levels very well. And it's just a matter of like one of my favorite setups for alts just for swings. And we had a bunch of them recently is returns back to weekly levels on the high time frame. And the return back there after a long time implies that shit is bad, right? 
but the market puking out the only low it has on the chart, on the weekly, right, since the entirety of its price history, is usually some one of the best buying opportunities, the reclaim of that, at least in the short term. Um, and it, it might seem like the worst, you know, a lot of the times, like the worst times to get involved, the thing, the times that seem like the worst times to get involved are obviously the most rewarding. But with alts, those tend to work more often uh, than not in my experience. So the combination of not necessarily, you know, I don't necessarily need to have a footprint for alts, um, but the the fact that the technical levels respond so well, and then focusing on some of these more, you know, nuanced tools, whether you're looking at a CVD, paying attention to open interest more now with alts individually, uh, has been, uh, or rather, it was very rewarding. Again, I haven't, I haven't traded alts as I was you know, for now, for the last couple of weeks, I don't need, maybe that was because of BTC or what's taking when, when the, um, when the Fed sort of completely took over the narrative, maybe it just became less compelling because everything was hinging on legacy markets. But, uh, I intend on trading alt a lot more in the coming, I think in the, in the coming year when we sort of, I think what we'll do is we'll end up picking, I think what's going to happen is I think DeFi has been in a bear market for a really long time. Um, and I think that uh, we're going to get another period where DeFi is going to rip, L2s are going to take off. And I want to honestly not be trading much Bitcoin at all by then. I just want to be trading alt and uh, applying these methods to alt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I understand not wanting to trade alts the last couple of weeks. Like I, I trade ES in the morning and then when I switch to Bitcoin, it just feels like I'm trading the same chart. Like, yeah, it's it's like the exact same thing. It's just harder to get in and out of positions, basically. But yeah, I mean, and then if you trade in the ES and I haven't traded in the ES in a really long time, but it's like gross that the fees that you pay to trade crypto comparing to trading, you know, trading either index futures or if you're trading stocks, uh, it's just it's night and day and difference and the spreads as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's painful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just we've had so much volatility in like the traditional markets over the last like couple months or whatever. It's just I I hadn't been trading them for a long time, and then I switched back to I picked up trading some of them. But yeah, no, uh, that's uh, all that's super helpful. And then you were talking, I think, to Brian about having some sort of uh, like spreadsheet or something like that, or a PDF of the uh, market different, like yes do you mind yeah. if i message you on uh telegram to get that sent over as well because i yeah, just i don't use trend reversal and it's literally only because i just haven't ever like learned about it there's not much information out there on it so um so i actually really like the trend reversal during periods of low volatility because uh, what i'll do is my trend reversal chart will be set to something like either a um 210-140 or like a 96-64. And these are really good low time frame settings. Um, and the way when, when there's not a lot of volatility, the way price boxes out nicely on them, it, it makes trap sort of like mousetrap setups really clean. Because you'll, you'll have a range where price might be stuck in like a 25 point range as it's developing like on the low time frames at a low. Um, and this will just look, it'll be very cleanly displayed in the trend reversal chart. And then the traps, like when there's like a false breakdown or, or false break upward, it's just about it, like visually it stands out really nicely. Um, and when the market's moving slower, I just think it's a better setting to use. But the market delta has a, a breakdown of 
it has a breakdown of every periodicity except for the trend reversal. It has a range breakdown, a range um, periodicity setting. But I could send you Sierra Charts has their breakdown of trend reversal, uh, and I could send you that either way. So. Oh, do I? Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I messed with it some. It it just reminded me of like a Renko chart, where it just like doesn't uh, shift until there's been enough like movement in that direction. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, it's yeah, it's not about activity; it's about change in in price. Sure. That's cool. Um, I think that that's all that I've got for now. I can let uh, Brian hop back up here. But yeah, I appreciate you answering the questions and going over all this stuff. No problem, man. Nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. All right, Brian. Hey, bud. Hey, um, I wanted to kick a macro question to you now. Um, what do you think about as Bitcoin, you know, grows in market cap? You know, obviously that's led to it trading uh, closer to equities. Do you think there's a period of time where it, it sort of reverses course and doesn't uh, trade so much with equities and maybe is viewed more as a commodity? Uh, I mean, it's the thing about it is um, all the comparisons we go off of are just based on historical comparisons and how markets have evolved over time. And crypto is so new and it's happening. It's kind of like it, it was born at the exact time to fulfill its role, like with everything that's taking place, whether you're looking at, you know, what's happening in Canada or what's happening um, geopolitically all over the globe. Uh, just the fact that you could very quickly send money to someone with no intermediaries, no no one stepping in the way, you know, you could be your own bank. Like the, all these kind of sexy narratives are finally serving a purpose, right? With what we're seeing today more recently. So maybe that, that maybe that completely, you know, maybe we're seeing a complete evolution and it's just beginning and you have companies that are going to be, you know, not, excuse me, not just companies, but countries getting behind Bitcoin and who knows, right? The, the idea, who knows? And I don't know. More importantly, um, I think that like left to its own devices, like markets just being markets and this being a, 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 a bearish period for the S&P and legacy markets and us ultimately recovering. I think that it honestly, it goes on to being it's it's like a hybrid, right? It's it's young. So, you know, when you're it's kind of like a kid when you're young, you try out all these different faces. You don't know who you are yet. You're trying to establish an identity, you know. You're a fireman one day, and then the next day you want to be, you know, a doctor, and you're not really sure. Bitcoin is, it's malleable still to where we've seen it act like a risk on asset and a risk off asset, um, but for the most part, it's been 99% risk on asset, and I think that it's likely to expect that that continues. So when there's relative stability in equities, and when equities are outperforming, I think that's always going to be the case that at least for a long time that Bitcoin outperforms until it gets to a, a much greater point of saturation that we're not even close to yet. Like Bitcoin is still, there's a lot of very simple bull cases just for Bitcoin that and crypto that are really, they don't require much thinking. And I think that those are actually the ones I would rather lean on more than the ones that require all these sort of hoops to jump through and criteria to be met. So one of them is, you know, I've said it many times, like old people die. The things that old people like, they die kind of with them. And the things that young people like move on into the future. So young people like crypto. Kind of a no-brainer that it's probably going to take on more of a market share in the next 20 years because of that. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a great investment today, though, because that 
what kind of rate of return does that imply? Does it imply that it doubles over the next 10 years or that it doubles over the next year, right? Those two outcomes have completely different, um, those are those imply two completely different things to someone who's building a, port a portfolio, right? Because you're, if you're taking on the amount of risk you're taking on in crypto for only a 2x return over 10 years, like that's not really worth it. But it's a very simple thesis for getting involved in crypto. You know, young people are taking over the world, right? They're bringing their crypto with them. Very stupid, very true though. Um, New tech, um, it's a small risk asset. It's still small. So I think that's another reason why I think that it just has room to grow, right? It's still so small compared to, to the equity markets, commodity markets, to gold. Um, so even if it, I think it's still, what that means is it still can grow and still fail. Like it means it still has room to grow before it does fail. So I don't think we've even seen a level of saturation yet that is um, really remarkable at all. It's still, you know, this market is the size of a small, you know, this market, and it's beyond it now, but this market is the size of like a large equity, right? Um, so I don't think that it's going to, I don't think the future for Bitcoin is it's, unless there's some kind of major change and it, it goes more down the route of what we're seeing today from an ideological standpoint, from like a, you know, future currency standpoint, um, I think it's more likely that it remains like a just a risk asset that is not as correlated, although it is very correlated now. Um, I think it, may, it remains a very easily accessed risk asset. I don't think that this is really going to change much. Maybe it does, but I, I think it's more likely that it persists and it just it's just a higher beta, like tech stock almost. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, thinking about how it's going to trade going forward because it's like is it really just going to be a leverage play on the S&P or the Nasdaq you know it's like it's kind of interesting because I feel like if that if that happens isn't it going to isn't that going to sort of cause some you know inefficiencies I don't know it's just interesting to think about I, I don't really see it either I've seen people talk about like Bitcoin becoming you know a, like a risk off asset when there's like a, you know an implosion in the stock market and the debt market like I don't really see that just because of how correlated it is now to, to equities but like there are people who think that, and it's just, it's like an interesting thing. I mean, it, like I was saying, it could have been this could just be perfect timing for for Bitcoin the, where we are right now because, like, let's say inflation can't be brought under control, and bonds are really not attractive at all, right? You're not getting anything there, so maybe the flea and the panic at that point is into something that is is not you know changed at the whim of a central banker, right? has its own monetary policy, you know, involves a level of self-sovereignty that was, that's not currently that is, you know, people are losing. So maybe there's some kind of major catalyst that sends the market here in one big rush. Uh, it's not happening right now though. And I think it's, it becomes a little bit romantic to think about that when we're seeing that right now it's behaving like one thing over the other. I, th you know, I don't think it's going to remain like just a leverage play on the S&P the same way that Apple isn't a leverage play on the S&P. Like Apple's part of the S&P, it's 6% of the S&P, when during times of uncertainty, all correlations increase. But I don't think that we're looking at the end of the S&P. I don't think we're looking at the end of markets the way that, you know, a lot of people might be writing. Um, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. I think this time is unprecedented. But I think when markets begin to stabilize again, we start to see things trade more idiosyncratically and more in line with their fundamentals and what their narrative is versus, you know, the all encompassing everything's correlated 
period that we're in right now. Um, and if if Bitcoin is, you know, correlated to the S&P, but it's returning and it's not like Bitcoin's not going to be, you know, unless Bitcoin takes on a, you know, what the romantic role is, it's not going to. I don't think you're looking at major returns for BTC anymore the same way that you did years ago. Right. It's the, the chances are that it tapers off over time. It's, it's, it's a higher beta play on the on equities or the S&P, but you're not thinking like, I think that 100K seems very reasonable. When you start talking about a million dollars per BTC, I either want to know how far we're talking in the future and what that accounts for with regards to inflation, or I want to know what conditions the world needs to be in for it to get there to begin with. And is that even desirable? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. Like, I'm not really looking to like bank on, uh, you know, Bitcoin becoming a risk off asset if there's like an implosion in the debt market and stocks and, you know, I don't think that's like a, like, I, th- I think it's like possible, but it's not something like I'm in a position for, like, if there's obviously like a reason to get out of the markets, like, I think that will apply to crypto as well. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like an interesting thing and I can see like a path for that at some point. Like I just, just because of what you said, like the self sovereignty and not relying on the central banks and all that. So. Yeah. I think that I, I was never like a, a maxi by any means. I mean, I, I thought that it's an, one of the most incredible inventions period. Um, but now it's like with, with what's taking place now, I starting to see that it's a great gift to mankind <laughs> because of the fact that I can put my wealth in a cold wallet, right? The problem is that is cool until you need to convert it to dollars and to do your day-to-day business. So without like an economy based around Bitcoin, it's not as useful, right? So that argument is not completely that there's not enough of a framework built up yet to really support that, um, that future. But I think it's incredible that, for example, things like we're seeing, you know, where people were able to, bypass the GoFundMe that was shut down and send Bitcoin. I think it's incredible that you can, you know, you have to filter through the scams, but I think it's awesome that you could send money to someone right now in Ukraine and and no one could do anything about it. Right. When I, I've been going to the bank the last month um, and taking out a lot of cash because I was buying, I was paying my contractor to do the work in my house and he's, they're actually from Ukraine and they prefer to get paid in cash. And I go to the bank and uh, this never happened to me, but my wife told me it happened to her a couple months ago. So, you know, I'm a member of Citibank. We're like a gold member. So they, they usually treat us pretty well. Now they're asking like, hey, I, I know it's not them asking. It's like their policy to ask. They're like, so you doing you buying anything nice with this money? And I'm like, uh, no, this is, you know, it's paying for my living room bookshelves to be put in. But they're, you know, they want to know where your money's going. Right. There's more of this surveillance that's taking place. And I hear her as I'm telling her what I'm doing, typing down, you know, what you would imagine would be like a note attached to my withdrawal. You know, oh, not taking this out to buy a pound of cocaine, taking it out to not buy. He's not taking it out to buy a bunch of rocket launchers. He's taking it out to buy a bunch of wood, you know. But the idea that, like, there's something that's out there, you know, that's cryptographic that you control and that no one else can can censor, I think is incredible, but the problem is they can censor it when you try to convert it to USD. But yeah, I, yeah, I had, um, I had bank of America, like threatened to shut down my bank account just for, just for like interacting with, with like crypto, like sending money to Coinbase and stuff. Like they were, they were asking if I was like funding some business 
And so, yeah, it, the, it's definitely not very bank friendly. And, uh, you know, it's definitely a, seems like a threat to them in some some way. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, but yeah, that's all. That's all I got. So, I mean, yeah. think about it real quick. Like during times, you know, inflation is called the shadow tax. Like one of the the names for it is the shadow tax. Like at some point, this is the scary thing about the idea of like a central bank digital currency. If the government can control what you spend your money on, they could possibly can control what you invest in, and if you're even able to avoid negative real rates, right? If you're able to even avoid or try to seek out ways to preserve your wealth, it's very difficult to preserve wealth. Like to pass wealth on through generations is nearly impossible for, for many reasons, right? Along the way, it's being taxed a million different ways. You know, it's being inflated away. Um, so the idea that, you know, they want your money to stay with them so that you could lose money. I mean, it's the whole thing is kind of fucked up, but. Yeah. And I, I didn't, it wasn't like a lot of money either. You know, like I, it wasn't like I was like shelling out like, you know, deep six figures or seven figures. It wasn't even close to that. So it was just funny that they were like taking the time to actually like threaten me with that over like sending money to a crypto exchange. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, it's not the first time I've heard it. You know, I've had, I've heard plenty of people, their banks were shut down. So it makes me want to go to like a smaller credit union. Cause I feel like they're not going to, they're not going to bother well, with that. You know, that's what's, that's what is going to happen. And that's like the tale of time through any change technologically. It's like, you either are going to evolve or you're going to die because what's going to happen is people are going to find the banks that are, you know, that are accessible and that are accepting of doing business with, you know, the Coinbase, uh, you know, the Coinbases of the world, the, the Krakens of the world, because really there's only a few in the United States. Um, and they're going to lose business to banks that are willing to do that. Right. So. It's kind of a good thing that they're shutting people out to some degree because you're going to go find, you know, a bank that does allow it. And then you're going to tell, you know, your friends who what bank you use and, you know, whether it's credit union or Citibank has always been Citibank has been has never had an issue. And I've so I've, cha- I've taken out a substantial amount of money over the last few years. So but it's the only one I've heard that hasn't had an issue. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's scary because like. They're like, if you don't do this by this date and it's like, you know, they're going to like make it so I like couldn't get my paychecks from work. It's just crazy. I don't know. But yeah, I, I agree. People are going to have to, I don't think they're going to do that forever. I think Bank of America, places like that, they kind of know that like crypto is not going anywhere. So yeah, listen, work. just a short story uh, and probably a lot of personal details. So I was, we, my wife and I, um, because I've been involved in crypto for so long now, it's, you know, I've been out of traditional workspace for a long time. Right. So when we were buying a new house, I didn't want to buy a new house completely cash because the rates are low. Right. And I am and it, as a trader, like it would be the most oxymoronic thing for me to do or contradictory thing for me to do to put a lot of money into uh, a house when the rates are so low and I'm already beating. I'm trading and beating the market to begin with. Like it just didn't make any sense to park. A, it's very capital inefficient. So we are we are in the process of we, we have. Uh, right after buying our house, just refinancing. Um, and one of the uh, things that the person said was, you know, I end up I end up putting down a lot of cash in my house period just because I don't want a mortgage for long, but I also don't want to just park all all my money in my house um, unless the rates are high, like rates going up. That'll that'll change the story. I'll probably just if rates went up significantly, I'd probably just pay my house off cash. But the you know de- dealing with the bank banks are for one. So one, if you want a mortgage in crypto, it's tremendously difficult. Um, 
it's like it's near impossible for most people to get a mortgage if you're like working in crypto, if you have crypto related income. Doesn't matter if you traded for 15 years, if you had a job for a firm, a company, a corporation for years, it's only mattered what you do the last, you know, what you've done the last three years, right? Um, so what, you know, a friend of mine who works at the bank and was just processing all this, he's like, listen, like, it's funny because all of these banks are gonna have to do this in the next year and a half. Like, there's no way they won't be able to because someone else is gonna come out and they're going to offer that product. They're going to offer it. And the banks that don't offer it are just going to lose business, right? So I don't think we're going to go to a place where, like, banks are just steadfast on not accepting, right? I think that banks who don't accept will lose business. And we're just moving towards a culture where crypto is more accepted, honestly. So it's a few cases where it's not and it sucks individually. But I think we're moving towards a place where it's just going to become more and more accepted, period. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. So. All right, man. It was good talking to you. I'll, uh, I'll hang up now. Thanks, man. Nice talking to you, Brian. All right, guys. We're going on two hours. I'm probably going to wrap it up. Unless anyone wants to hop on for a minute or two. I think uh, my wife and I are going to go shoot some guns. Have a little Saturday shooting some guns. Troy. All right, Troy, and then we're done. What's up, bud? Hey, what's up, man? Hello? Hello, hello. I can hear you now. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, Just a real quick question. Uh, You've been mentioning a book list. I'm a member of Block Roots, but I can't find it anywhere. Do you know where I can... Get a hold of yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it should. So that's funny because uh, I mentioned the book list last time and I couldn't find where my book list was. And I went to Blockroots <laughs> to find it and I couldn't find it in uh, I couldn't find it in the literature part. Um, I couldn't find it anywhere, but I actually I posted it in the uh, I ended up posting it in there in the discord. OK, perfect. Awesome. So Thank you very much. If you can, if, if let me just double check. So uh-huh. let me go in here and. Because I'm updating the book list constantly. Uh, let me see. Should be. Yeah, so the updated one is actually posted. It's uh, under the channel literature. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. You got it. All right. Have a good one. You too. All right, guys. I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, hope you guys have a good weekend. I, I want to say I hope all of this taking place blows over, but it you know it definitely isn't. And I posted re- I posted something on Twitter either yesterday or the day before, and uh, it just got so much traction that I didn't want to delete it, but I I worded it incorrectly. I said something to the effect of, let me just read it actually. It doesn't make sense to try to remember it when I could just pull it up. Um, da, 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 da. One sec. Hmm. Did I, I'm going to find it in a second. Something about hand waving. Um, I said, what if this Russia Ukraine conflict isn't small and involves into something much worse? And we're all just hand waving at it like another passing crappy news story. So a large, you know, from my group, from where I am, uh, and this might be the tendency of people that don't live near the conflict 
it's it's easy to be in circles and I think people are partially just what desensitized to what takes place across the globe and are very quick to say like ah you know like I'm I'm in a bunch of chats also and and telegram groups with some some pretty significant people in the market that said the same thing and you know to the effect of like oh this is going to be over in a week this will be over in two weeks um you know it's like like as if it was going to be a passing news story and even initially before it all broke out that was my interpretation too i you know to be completely honest and transparent i posted something along the lines of um and this is just like constant in life you're going to be wrong all the time uh i posted something along the lines of like you know this is this week's story or this month's story a couple months from now we won't even realize that this happened or it'll be a blip or and it's kind of is actually when i think about it now that was pretty uh, abrasive because I was talking about the market, but this is something that obviously people are having to live through and it's really terrible. And it, I was uh, reflecting on it the last couple of days because the guys are working on my house are from Ukraine and they hadn't been, you know, I, I didn't want to say it, but I was, you know, they showed up for work one morning. I'm like, Hey, do you guys want to not work for the day? Like take the day off. I don't know if, how you guys are. How are you? And they were saying, you know, we haven't slept all night. Like we've been up all night talking to our sisters, brothers, trying to get my, you know, one guy was saying, my dad is so old, you know, he's like 70. He's like steadfast and being like, I'm not, you know, saying I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying where I am. And, you know, you could tell his, the guy who owns a contractor company, his son, he's very upset because his dad was kind of just being very, you know, stubborn. Um, and he was upset because he couldn't be there to make his dad move and and obviously avoid any kind of issues. But I'm thinking, you know, I've been up all night too, but it's for fucked up reason because I've been looking at the market and how that it's just, it's fucked up when you think about it, right? Um, how people can profit during conflict. But I didn't, I didn't think it was going to evolve to what it's evolving into now, which is clearly a much more pressing issue. Uh, you know, I don't want to say World War III, but I don't want to also say that things like that can't happen. Uh, when evil people are allowed to um, to continue. Uh, and now you see, I think, I think it's easy to, like when you read history books as a student, as a child, and you hear about people in the past who have been just evil and have gotten their way with uh, a large amount of the population, you always think like, why didn't people do anything right then? Like I would have done something. It's the same effect as like people who don't jump in to help their friends or worrying around for something. And then they say like, if I was there, I would have fucking knocked his ass out. It's like, no, you wouldn't have. You would have done what everyone does, which is just watch something bad happen. Um, and then talk about it after like, you know, so I posted this post and I, you know, from my perspective, there was a lot of people and even myself in the beginning who said that this wouldn't be that big of a deal and that maybe it's evolving into something that clearly is. So I just wanted to clarify that. Like, Completely mistake on you know, big mistake on my part thinking it wasn't going to turn into anything, and then I didn't mean that while it was happening now that we're just writing it off like it's nothing because clearly it is something that is very significant and should have um, the attention of of any good people, right? I and I know that things like this are tough to talk about and even tough to to get a hand or wrap your head around, uh, get a hand on, wrap your head around whatever stupid analogy um, or metaphor we want to use. Uh, because they're, you know, the internet is full with, filled with misinformation and, you know, propaganda. But I feel like I have a good, I feel like most people know who the bad guy is right now. Um, but yeah, anyway, don't want to go too far down that path, but I just wanted to clarify. I don't think that this is something we're just hand waving at. Uh, it was, uh, 
is a wrong way to write about it. And then after that, that things like this, when shit happens like this, um, before you can even, as a large account, before you can even adjust, there's like 50 comments. Like no one wants to talk about <laughs> stuff all throughout the day about the market. But once you talk about a current event, also you're bringing in algos and a lot of other people that probably don't even follow me. But at that point, I was like, I don't want to delete this. Um, you know, because I don't know what it'll look stupid. But anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, that was probably a mouthful at the end. Uh, I will post another room or day for the room on Monday. Probably do it again on Wednesday. All right. Have a fantastic weekend. Wish you well. Be safe.